Immediately following uh, this service, the family invites you to join them for uh, some refreshments in the church community room, which is located directly behind us. It's a wonderful time to express your love and your support to Diane and the family, and they hope that you're able to join them. Hear the word of the Lord from the Psalms. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I died And I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Horace Emmons. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this time, may God search each of our hearts. That in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that even in the face of death, we experience you as the giver of all life. In this hour together, help us to worship you with all of our hearts. And help us to hear your words of grace and mercy and comfort. Through the love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please take the song sheets that you were handed as you came in and just turn over the leaf to the love of God. And would you stand with me, please, as we sing.
you be seated. The first scripture reading is selected passages from the Gospels of Matthew and John. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I know this is a bit unusual for the widow to be speaking, but I had five years of dementia to have a chance to say goodbye in a long goodbye. Um, I did want to make some comments today. And first of all, the love of God was Murtis Emmons' favorite hymn. That's why we sang it. Murtis was a big part of Horace's life, and uh, I want to acknowledge that. Uh, Jenny and Bob are here um, representing their other siblings, Beth and Alfred. Displayed on a case of soft drink, we read, Live your life with moxie and distinctively different. That may well be an advertising slogan for the New England beverage called Maine in a Bottle, but it could also describe Horace Emmons's life. Moxie, are you familiar with the term? According to Merriam-Webster dictionary definition, moxie means the ability to be active, courage or determination, energy, pep, know-how. The Free Dictionary defines moxie as the ability to face difficulty with spirit and courage, aggressive energy, initiative. I can't tell you a lot about the first half of Horace's life except to relate facts. He was born in Maine, lived his entire life as the baby of the family the youngest member of his generation on both sides. He lost his father at age six, and then his mother died while Horace was serving overseas during World War II. In 1943, he married Murtis Wentworth, another Maine native, with whom he raised their four children. During a week in October of 1947, he fought a raging forest fire that destroyed vast properties including the Emmons homestead. Horace and Murtis built a new house on the old foundation. Twelve years later, the family moved to begin work at Gordon College in Massachusetts. 
In the fall of 1963, they came to manage East Hall Kitchen here in Houghton. They considered their work in the kitchen to be a calling from God. I first met Mr. and Mrs. E. in 1970 when I joined the East Hall Kitchen crew. My job, scrubbing the dirt and grime away from surfaces behind the refrigerators and stoves, made me distinctively different since I was encouraged to wear jeans when every other female employee was required to wear a skirt or a dress. Each worker had a specific job to do at a certain time, serve up, reset, wait tables, operate the dish machine, mop floors, and so on. But the job itself wasn't as important as the fact that we were all working together to accomplish a task. Mr. and Mrs. E. called us the loved ones and then acted as though they meant it. The kitchen was a blessed refuge from the academic world outside, a place to laugh out loud, enjoy some food, and receive godly counsel. Mr. and Mrs. E. were distinctively different from most other families in Houghton. Just the names, Horace and Murtis, sounded a bit unusual. They spoke a special dialect of English, sometimes called Mena. They entertained us with stories of driving their car to places such as Portland, Biddeford, Bahaba. Naturally, they always planned to stop at one of their favorite seafood restaurants for some lobster. Rather than coffee, tea, or Pepsi, they drank Postum or Moxie. The Emmonses drove boat-sized Cadillacs instead of newer Fords or Chevys. They catered wedding receptions and built an addition on their house to accommodate 20 college men. Every summer, the Emmons clan packed their bags and headed for the old country, back to Maine, where everyone knew all about Moxie, the beverage and the character trait. After a semester of wall scrubbing, I was promoted to assistant cook, largely because I lived at East Hall, and Mr. E was looking for someone wanting to make an easy buck who could save him a trip back to campus in the middle of the night to turn on the meat ovens. <laughs> I was thrilled when Mr. and Mrs. Emmons offered me a job working with them in the kitchen at a boys' camp in Bridgeton, Maine, for the summer of 1972. Moose Cove Lodge Kitchen was a very busy place, but whenever we had free time, Mr. and Mrs. E. shared funny stories and reminisced about places they had lived during their first 40 years. I learned to crack eggs with one hand, make the perfect cup of postum, and sing, among other camp favorites, three blue pigeons, one was black and white, oh! See, Jenny knows that one. <laughs> On the morning of August 24, 1972, as Horace, Murtis, Beth, and I drove through a quiet intersection in Hollis, Maine, our lives were turned upside down and permanently altered. A weary driver ran a stop sign, broadsiding the Emmons vehicle. Murtis died at the scene from the impact 
Still reeling in shock, I observed as Horace comforted Beth with the words, Your mother's gone, but the Lord will take care of us. I admired that kind of childlike faith. A year following Murtis's untimely death, Horace and I were married at his home on a Wednesday morning wearing Pendleton wool plaid suits. Following a gourmet meal prepared by family members, we drove away in a bright yellow CJ5 Jeep. Obviously, the term distinctively different still applied to Horace's life. In 42 years of marriage, we have gone places and done things, experiencing both pain and pleasure. The specific accomplishments are not my focus today. Somehow, I hope to tell you about the character of the man I married. I have sometimes referred to Horace as my special three-in-one, husband, father, and little boy. As husband, he provided leadership, love, protection, and strength. He encouraged me to grow and develop my own interests. He also took great delight in pampering me, I like that, and making me laugh. On more than one occasion, he prearranged with a particular jeweler to have an array of gifts within a certain price range displayed so that when we arrived at the store, I could select whatever I wanted. After his retirement, Horace planned and prepared meals ready to enjoy the moment I arrived home from school each day. Sometimes these dinners were quite elaborate and creative. I remember the time he hauled out all of our houseplants to the garage to create just the right atmosphere for a Hawaiian luau in the dead of winter. Another time, supper had to be delayed a bit. Earlier that day, he had accidentally broken a small figurine and thought I would be upset. So, he gathered all the other figurines, dolls, stuffed animals, whatever he could find, and arranged them in rows on the kitchen counter. He asked me to come in quietly because there was a funeral in progress for the broken figurine. (laughs) Much as a father would teach a child, Horace taught me how to accomplish heavy tasks without having to use brute strength. I learned that pulling nails from used lumber went much better with a small block of wood under the hammerhead. Heavy appliances could roll more easily into place if you took time to put a dowel underneath. Pulleys could lift beams into place if you were building a shed without electricity or power equipment. Horace was 33 years older than I, and in that time he had accumulated a wealth of knowledge and practical experience which he was willing to pass along to me. I will always be grateful for the skills that he taught me. Probably Horace's most endearing character, character trait, excuse me, had to do with his status as baby of the family. As I mentioned earlier, he was the youngest child on both sides of his generation. In some ways, Horace refused to grow up. 
and take himself too seriously. He was neither intimidated nor impressed by people who thought they were better than other folks. Throughout his life, Horace maintained, retained, I'm sorry, Horace remained optimistic and playful, enjoying the company of children as well as adults. He had an active imagination. One of his favorite aprons read, What you see is what you get. Horace's childlike faith in God was not complicated. He believed that the sinless Jesus was born of a virgin, died on the cross, and rose again, paying our sin debt and offering forgiveness and eternal life for anyone who put their trust in Christ. Horace never seemed to wrestle with the deep theological questions, but his faith was strong and unwavering, childlike. Marriage to Horace has been distinctively different in many ways, but it included the essential ingredients of a strong relationship. He has been kind, gentle, and lighthearted, always taking delight in helping and serving others. Although his profound deafness and more recent dementia seriously limited his ability to interact with crowds of people, he maintained a sweet disposition and continued to entertain close friends and family with his humor as long as he lived. He truly demonstrated the ability to face difficulty with spirit and courage. In other words, he lived his life with moxie. The following is a clip recorded in 2011 of Horace reading from Patrick McManus' story, How to Go Splat, describing the criteria for scoring style points when someone trips and falls. Down stand, whip, slam, whip, slam, whip, slam. <laughs> I once saw a guy who was packing out a hind quarter of elk do a multiple back back flip down a steep rocky trail. By the time they were finished, the hind quarter of elk looked to be in better health than <laughs> In regard to style, it is important to maintain proper facial expression during the duration of the fall. I prefer a look of casual disinterest, at least until I have plummeted past the 10-foot mark. (laughs) Then I employ the standard grimace. The important thing to remember about the grimace is not to do it too long or too hard. Otherwise, the grimace may last longer than the injuries. I've known outdoorsmen who three months after they'd recovered from a fall still looked as if they were about to hit. (laughs) Which to say at the start of a fall is an important aspect of style. Many outdoorsmen are caught unprepared in their downstairs.
afternoon. I have the privilege of sharing some comments and stories and memories from our neighbors and friends of Horace and Diane's. And Diane, thank you for this honor. I could easily fill up this whole time just with memories from our family. Horace had such a deep impact on us as, as you do as well. But that would be selfish, and there's so many other really good stories to share. So um, I will begin and end, though, with stories from my children, if you don't mind. First, I would like to share from my daughter Angie's memories. Angie says, Mr. Emmons was a fixture of my childhood. He often saved the day with his little green tractor, plowing us out after snowstorms or helping out with family projects. And he let us ride our bikes in his wonderfully smooth black top driveway. 
He taught me to speak slowly and to make eye contact when talking to people who have trouble hearing. I've grown up and moved away, but whenever I come back to visit, Mr. Emmons would be sitting in the same chair, in the same corner, watching the same reruns of Hogan's Heroes or Andy Griffith. I will miss him. He was a great neighbor, and Tucker Hill won't be the same without him. John and Sue Babbitt have been friends for over 50 years with the Emmons, and they shared some memories from way back in the Houghton College years, where John was the night janitor, and Horace would leave snacks for him to eat while he worked. Several neighbors also mentioned that John Deere tractor as a tool that Horace would use to help out in so many ways. The Danners fondly remember Horace helping them with their lawn and their garden. Margot Kettlecamp said for many, many years during the worst of blizzards, Horace was out early in the morning plowing our driveways while we were still in bed. Nathan Danner mentioned Horace pointed out a little seedling of an apple tree that was growing on his property while they were working on it. They're still eating the apples from that tree to this day. Their yard and gardens still have borders set by that John Deere. So many neighbors mentioned the kindness and the generosity of the Emmons in their memories, from sharing garden vegetables to allowing so many of us the joy of swimming in their pond. The Clarks remember many hours of working with Horace, tinkering with machinery, or on the many inventions that he created. Joanne Young fondly remembers cookies Horace baked while working in the dining hall at the college. Goody Stevenson remembers the wedding cakes and tea sandwiches he made for their wedding. She says he always did everything with love and a little humor thrown in. John and Sue Babbitt also shared a memory about their wedding reception back in 1969 that Horace did for them. Sharon Johnson mentioned good food around the table at the Emmons home and their friendliness as they were some of the first people that she remembers meeting when, they moved, when she moved to Houghton. Laura Dibble mentioned what a great friend Horace was to her dad, and Ron and Sylvia Duttweiler says Horace always had a pleasant smile and a good listening ear. Debbie Vare, our neighbor and caregiver for Horace, wrote, I will never forget his kindness and his humor, always putting a smile on my face. Whenever I stayed there with him, I used to love to listen to the tales of his past, especially when he was growing up as a boy. Christine Haig remembers Horace's sense of humor, too, and the devotion that Horace and Diane showed to one another. The Babbitts also told me a story that's pretty funny about camping together with Horace and Murtis in Maine. One night, Horace decided to play a trick on them and hide an alarm clock that was set to go off in the middle of the night somewhere in their camper. And when it went off, it took them 15 minutes to finally find it and turn it off and go back to sleep again. Becky Hutton mentioned the game of cribbage that Horace taught her how to play, which reminds me of comments from Gwen and Dave Mercer. Gwen wrote, The first memories of Horace started with his booming voice saying, Come in, come in. The tone was set, and it didn't diverge. Horace was a seriously welcoming soul, but the word serious can be misleading. His infectious laugh and love of stories always kept us entertained. His buoyant sense of humor carried the day. 
Horace was the one to introduce us to the world of cribbage, and now it's our favorite game, and Horace's voice echoes through each time we play. 15-2, 15-4, and there are no more. And that was a squeaker. Horace didn't need to win. He just loved a good game. Gwen continues, he also loved a good joke. Once when we were over, Horace had made a cake but he felt the urge to sample it prematurely. So he stuffed a hole, the hole of the cake, with a napkin, and then he iced right over top of it. It was good as new, until Diane got the piece with the napkin. And Horace innocently asked, How ever did this happen? His infectious laugh and love of stories always kept us entertained. His buoyant sense of humor carried the day. How we enjoyed and were warmed by our sweet times with Horace and Diane. Houghton alum Joel Ernst wrote, Horace and Diane provided a home away from home for me as a student at Houghton. Horace was always a welcoming host and a great person to be around. I was blessed by Horace's devotion to the Lord, his witty humor, and his love for Diane. I'll miss his handshake and his laugh. And I know there's many students who could say the same. I started off with our daughter Angie's comment, and I'd like to end with our son Zach's memories. He's writing this from Colorado. He says, Mr. Emmons is one of my all-time favorite people. I can't believe he's gone. We grew up hearing expressions like something was ski-jawed, and now we're cooking with petrol. And those expressions have become part of our family's vernacular. Zach says, I had the privilege to grow up just across the street from the Emmons. I got to spend quite a bit of time with him over the past 25 years. My first memory of Mr. Emmons are of playing with his very well-trained dogs and eating blueberries from his bushes. He would tell me his dogs understood English just fine, but they don't speak it too well. After a few years of skinning my knees on his blacktop when I rode my bike, Mr. Emmons asked my dad's permission to let him teach me how to drive his tractor. He had recently traded Old Red for a shiny new John Deere. Mr. Emmons taught me how to drive it and how to take care of his tractor, and he and I completed many interesting projects at the Emmons house and around the whole neighborhood. I've used the skills that he taught me many times since then. In fact, as I'm writing this, I've just finished plowing the snow here at the ranch in Colorado. More importantly than mechanical skills, cribbage, witty sayings, and lore, Mr. Emmons taught me a lot about being a generous person and a good neighbor. He and I had a great time plowing driveways and gardens all over Tucker Hill. My most treasured memories of him will be the times we spent just hanging out on the porch and talking. He didn't ever sit me down to talk about life, but he taught me many, many things through his gentle and generous manner. Even in the past few years, when he often didn't remember who I was when I'd come to visit, He always had a few nice things to say and a funny comeback or two. I consider Mr. Emmons my third grandpa, and I will miss him dearly in the years to come. I wish I could be there today to join you all in celebrating this great man's life. There is one thing we all agree on. There couldn't be a better neighbor than Horace and Diane Emmons. And Diane, you've taught me so much about what it means to be servant-hearted and to love You took care of Horace so well these past years. You're a wonderful example of a godly life, and and I'm so thankful 
for both of you. Just as introduction, I'm uh, Diane's brother, and uh, just have some notes from our family. Uh, Horace was very, very special to uh, the entire Lytle family, uh, and uh, we loved him dearly. Uh, my oldest sister, Sherry, uh, sent a note. She said, I think the first time I really spent time with Horace was when our dad was in the hospital in Rochester having his heart valve replaced. I was staying in one of the hospital family rooms with mom. Each day, Diane and Horace would drive up and to visit and often bring along some snacks for the evening. One day, Horace was telling us about how hard he had worked to make some gourmet cookies. Those graham crackers with chocolate frosting in between were really good. <laughs> while mom and dad were in the room, while mom and Diane were in the room visiting dad, Horace and I would be in the waiting room chatting. I came to realize what a, a kind, loving, funny man he really was. Even though his life had its share of, of trials and tribulations, he kept a bright outlook on life and was a real pleasure to know. In years after that, I often begged uh, Horace to make some more gourmet cookies. He would give me that little smile, then in all seriousness, he would say, uh, he would put the order in, but it would probably take a while, and we'd both laugh. Uh, whenever we had a meal with them, he would ask the blessing and thank God for the food and the hands that prepared it. I was always struck with the richness of his voice as he talked with his friend and his Savior. I loved to hear Horace talk with that main accent and especially loved hearing him read the stories aloud. He would get tickled at some of the antics described in the story and start laughing. His laugh was so infectious that soon we were all laughing and then he would put even more animation into his reading. Oh, what fun. We will surely miss Horace and are so thankful that he was part of our lives and given us so many great memories. Uh, from... Our sister, Wendy, she, Wendy Pelletier, she says, I think back to that time that Jerry, his dad, and his dad, Al, Pa, and I, along with our two dogs, Laddie and Casey, all traveled to New York for Lytle family reunion and stayed with Horace and Diane. Horace, as a general rule, had a preference to avoid extending invitations for visits by four-legged family friends but he made an exception to the rule in, this, in our case. Uh, Horace, Jerry, and Pa all enjoyed playing cribbage together, one game after another, and thankfully the visit came with the, with the canine cousins, Laddie, Casey, and Daisy, uh, went well without any major conflicts or incidents. We all enjoyed the evenings visiting, listening as Horace read stories aloud, laughing along with him as he would get tickled thinking about some of the annex described in the story. Laddie, Casey, Daisy were right there snuggled in as well. The boys, as we often referred collectively to our dogs, were such a big part of our lives and it was especially appreciated 
that we didn't have to make the choice of leaving them at a kennel. As we prepared to depart and saying our goodbyes, and I thanked Horace for allowing us to bring Laddie and Casey along with us, that familiar twinkle in his eye, he said, be sure to come back any time. Horace's light-hearted outlook and sense of humor is something that I will always remember with great fondness. I had the pleasure of joining in on a family game night during another visit a few years ago and learned to play Farkle, a new game that I had never heard of. I think back to that evening and can't help but smile as I envision Horace blowing on the dice for good luck or shaking the dice cup with precision, calling out the results he hoped he would see spill out. We had such a good time laughing and being together. Hannah Bartlett, uh, our youngest sister's, one of our youngest sister's daughters, uh, writes, Uncle Horace and I shared a birthday, July 22nd. We decided that gave us a special bond since we, we shared the best birth date uh, one could have. We often talked about our birthdays, how far apart they were, uh, how it was such a good time of year to celebrate, and famous people who, who shared our birthday, people like Bob Dole. Uh, some of my favorite memories of Uncle Horace are cribbage games, his always present wit, his party, parting goodbye, be sure to come again. He was so special and so loving and always made me laugh. A few months ago, Greg and I had the privilege of spending a weekend with Aunt Diane and Uncle Horace while Greg and, and Aunt Diane worked tirelessly installing a shower for, in the respite Livy, Lucy, and I had a special task of spending time with and taking care of Uncle Horace. We would introduce ourselves every time he woke up from a nap and remind him where Annie was again. He could never quite seem to remember who this Greg fellow was, but he sure was taking in a long time on that shower. At one point, we spent a good hour talking about his travels in Europe and how much he enjoyed it there, stories filled with details about the weather, the behavior of people he met, and different places he got to visit. Later, after he fell asleep, Aunt Diane informed me he had never been to any of those places. (laughs) We just laughed and laughed. Another story time, he apologized that his wife was away on a trip overseas, and he guessed I would have to do all the cooking. I will always be thankful for the time I spent with Uncle Horace and will look back fondly on those memories. He will be missed, but how precious he is that he is now with our Savior. I look forward to seeing him again. Heaven has been made all the more special with his arrival. God bless. Uh, Our brother Kevin. called the other day and and shared a couple of things. He said, uh, Horace always took the day as it came with the blessings as well as the difficulties. Uh, Talking with Horace when he was 90, uh, Kevin says, I asked him how he was doing and Horace replied saying, I seem to be good. I'm taking good, good nourishment. And after a brief pause, he continued with that well-known twinkle in his eye. I could die today, but if I do, I'll be surprised. (laughs) 
He, he loved life. Uh, his wife, Pat, uh, wrote, he was quite a guy. He taught my children how to smash flies against the wall instead of spotting them. He also taught them how to chant, we want food, while pounding the handles of their forks and spoons on the table in rhythm. All the while, quietly, he sat there with an innocent smile on his face and twinkle in his eye. <laughs> Leah Keppel, an, another niece, says, We'll miss his fi- smiling face, his love for the Lord shown to all of us, and generous life that he lived. Thank you, Lord, for blessing our lives with Uncle Horace. Uh, I choose to remember him, always making others laugh and smile. You will be greatly missed. You know, as I was thinking about what to share, uh, a few different things came to mind, and they're, they're thoughts that you've heard repeated a number of times already. Uh, Horace loved and enjoyed life. He enjoyed life. Uh, he, had a, he had a joyful outlook on life, and it impacted everyone that was around him. Uh, great impact. He also loved and cherished Diane as Annie, uh, which was demonstrated by the tenderness, the acts of kindness, the service, uh, never a burden, uh, things that he enjoyed. He did those things joyfully. But most of all, he loved and trusted his Lord. Uh, It wasn't that life was always easy. Uh, We know that it wasn't. But regardless of life's circumstances, uh, when you heard him pray, you sensed that uh, a great reverence for the Lord and his intimate relationship with the Lord. Uh, What a great example to follow. This is from my Aunt Beth. Um, I'm Tom, Robert's son. Um, When I was a kid, and on most days, and often multiple times a day, my dad would say to me, have I told you that I love you? And I would giggle and say the appropriate response, and he would say, well, I do. took me to see the original 101 Dalmatians several years in a row, she says. He used to pull a toboggan behind the Jeep. And he would pull me and sometimes a friend around the back roads. I remember he would holler out the window, asking if we were still there. Used to annoy me, she says, and evidently he heard this in my voice, but I was thinking, where else would I be? (laughs) The one time he didn't holler, he took a sharp corner too fast, and me and my friend went headfirst into a snowbank. Dad didn't know he had lost us. Finally, he came back, but it took a while. 
She also mentioned that she had the privilege of reteaching him cribbage many years ago, which has brought joy to many. So thank her for that. I wrote this this morning because I got suckered into coming up here. (laughs) When I was young and I wanted to play with goats, Grandpa was there. When I graduated from high school, Grandpa was there. When I was at the airport on the way to basic training, Grandpa was there. And when I wanted to play cribbage, Grandpa was there. When I got married in Indiana, Grandpa was there. When I wanted cookies, Diane was there. I smile whenever I see a goat or a John Deere tractor. Because Grandpa's there. Although we'll miss him dearly, now heaven is a bit better because my Grandpa's there.
from Romans 12, verses 3 through 16. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in seal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If you're able, please take your hymnal and we'll turn uh, to the number 368, verses 1, 3, and 4. Please rise if you're able.
Thank you. Be seated. In the passage from Romans 12 that was just read, we find these words. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. It seems to me that those words are a good description of Horace Emmons' life. His gifts and his acts of service were perhaps not typically the most visible, but they were significant and important to the function of God's people nonetheless. When I think of Horace and his service that was often connected to food, I I think about the people who baked bread in the ancient temple. I, I think about this bread that was replenished every Sunday for the people of Israel as they came to worship. Every Sabbath day, the bread was brought, and they, and they came to worship. And that bread was essential to the worship life of Israel, even though probably few people really thought that much about who made it. As Diane and I were talking about Horace's life, we were also noting how the organ here in front of you is representative of Horace's service to God's people. Diane was very involved in uh, helping with the construction and the ongoing maintenance of this organ. And so it has special significance to her and to Horace. This organ has over 2,000 pipes, and they all create different sounds, but there are also parts of the organ that don't make any sound at all. But without them, the organ would not make sound. Even within each pipe, there are parts of wood and metal without which the pipes would be out of tune or even unusable. Without all the workings of the organ, there would be no music. There are just a few pipes that you see. Most of the workings of the organ, the pipes and the the wood and the different varying parts are all hidden, but they're all essential. To give you just a sense of the variety and the diversity of the sounds of the organ, what might be called maybe the colors of the organ, Diane thought it would be enlightening for Judy to play just a few examples that demonstrate the different possibility of organ sounds.
those pipes doing a variety of things, some of them very small, some of them large, and all the other workings of that organ really symbolize the, the various gifts that are part of the body of Christ. And, and again, some of those things are, are more visible. Many of them are unseen, but all essential and important. But as important as it is to recognize the various gifts that make the church the church and God's people God's people, eventually we come to realize and recognize and acknowledge that it all is done that we might bring glory to God. All the ways in which we use our gifts, all the ways in which we serve one another is for the purpose of turning our attention to God. The bakers put out the bread every Sabbath for one reason, to remind the people of God of his unending provision and of his love. Every time the people go to the temple for worship, they see the bread and they are reminded that God has cared for them in the past and God has promised to care for them in the future and God is with them even in that moment. And the service of preparing the bread for the temple and all the ways in which we serve today are intended to help us see God and know God and experience God and really ultimately to trust God. We've gathered here today not only to celebrate the life of a man who served God and others, but also to remember God's grace and goodness that made his service possible. We're here this afternoon really because God is good and because God is with us. We can approach this day of death with grief and rejoicing because God is good and God is with us. Christmas is a time to remember that God has come in human flesh and that through this baby born in Bethlehem, we know that death isn't the end. Sin does not have the last word. That we can be restored and renewed and experience the deepest longings of our souls. The God whose presence was imaged in bread in temple worship is the same God who promises his people through the ages, I will be with you. And Jesus is the ultimate final realization of that promise. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. Because God is with us, because Christ has come, we have hope for eternity and we have hope for today. We have hope that God is enough for our grief, our pain, for our yearnings, for our fears, for every struggle of the human heart, soul, mind, and body. This is the God who comes among us. This is the God who has promised to be with us. I love the hymn whose title is simply, My Hope is in the Lord. The last verse of that hymn declares, His grace has planned it all. Tis mine, but to believe. And recognize his work of love and Christ receive. For me he died, for me he lives. And everlasting life and light 
he freely gives. That promise is true because Jesus has come. So that even on this day of death, this day of grief and sorrow, this day that, that brings to us pain and struggle, even on this day, because Christ has come, we have joy and peace and we know grace and hope. Amen. Again, I'll ask you to stand if you're able and uh, remain standing after we sing the song. It uh, is in your uh, hymnal. You'll see it there, number 457. Please stand. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.